thanks for joining me on the Automotive Hour. Today's show is a special pre-recorded program from way back in the past, back in 2009 as a matter of fact. If you listen carefully to the calls, you'll notice how a lot of the cars are a little bit older by today's standards. But I think all the information is just as pertinent now as it was then. I think we have a lot of fun. Let's go ahead and join our show already in progress. That's it. Right now is the perfect time to call. <laughs> I got every line wide open. Of course, at the first of the show is always the best time to call. Exactly. In. You can get your questions answered and in-depth answer right. that would really help you. We try to do that through the whole show. Toward the end of the show well, is about halfway one through of those the show, things. I'm exhausted. My mind ain't sharp, so <laughs> <laughs> I got to give you the bum's rush. Muddle my way through it. But uh, yeah, right now, my mind's pretty sharp. Hey. Got a couple of cups of coffee under my belt. <laughs> Great give scout. Good morning, Peggy. Hey, Lewis, thank you for taking my call. Yes, ma'am. This is probably a silly question, but I have a 2005 Chevrolet Trailblazer. Okay. And two days ago, my car's running fine. There's nothing wrong with the car, but the gas needle on the front showing uh-huh. full yes, or ma'am. empty, uh-huh. it's stuck on full. Okay, that's pretty common. And I know what you're going to tell me. I'm going to have to bring it in, and I'm going to, but uh-huh. is there anything you can do either under the hood or somewhere to dislodge it? Or Probably duck? not, Peggy. If turning the ignition on and off a couple of times doesn't move it, yeah, I because that. it's not it's mechanical, it's electronic, so yeah, it's not like yeah, anything. It's got a little servo motor that actually drives that gauge, and it's fed by reference, which comes from the computer, which is fed by a sender unit in the tank. So it's not like a mechanical device that you can do anything with. Yeah, the other gauges are fine. It's Of all the gauges, it would have had to be now, yeah, you know. I would almost <laughs> bet you it's going to be the dash gauge if it's stuck on full. They've had a lot of trouble with those on the newer Chevrolet products, those instrument panels. They actually yeah. recalled it on the Chevy pickup truck for that exact problem, but not on the Trailblazer. Okay. Even though it's the same servo motor on both of them. Okay, well, thanks a lot. All righty. Thank you, Thank Lewis. you, Bye-bye. ma'am. Bye-bye. And we got Kitty online. Good morning, Kitty. Good morning. Yes, Good ma'am. morning. I'm calling about an Acura. It's a 2001, I think. It's okay. a coupe. Yes, ma'am. And it's a great car. Uh-huh. But sometimes, not often, but sometimes you get in it and you try to turn it on and it's like the engine doesn't turn. You hear the noise, but the engine doesn't turn on. Um, Kitty, what's real important to get an answer on that is to know what kind of a noise it's making because if the starter is turning and the engine's cranking over and it's not mm-hmm. starting, then that's one whole thing. But that's if the engine's not cranking over and it's making a different kind of noise, then that's a whole other type of thing. Okay, with well, the engine... It it does. You can hear the starter crank over, yeah, 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 and it just doesn't yeah. start. Okay, Correct. well, that is almost... It, it eventually, it'll go ahead and start and run fine after that? Exactly. Okay, that is almost always going to be a fuel system-related problem. For instance, most of the time, there is a check valve in the fuel pump. And what it does is the fuel pump is located all the way at the back of the car in the gas tank. Okay, but the fuel injectors are all the way in the front on the engine. Now, that fuel pump has to run and push gas all the way to the front of the car to those injectors before it is going to start. Now, that takes quite a while. So what the car makers do is that when you turn the key off, the pump quits running. A little valve closes, and it holds a certain amount of pressure on the fuel rail, okay, so the pressure is available. Now, when you cycle the ignition, the pump will run for one or two seconds, and then it's going to stop. Because if it kept on running, it would be a safety hazard, or if there was a problem, like you turn the key on, it ran, it could pump gas into the motor and set a fire. So it only runs for a second or two each time you cycle the switch. Now, the problem is this. If that valve goes bad and the fuel leaks back to the tank, you turn the key on, it runs for a second, it gets the gas about a third of the way up to the fuel rail. You crank and crank, crank, there's no gas. You turn it off, you turn it back on, 
does the same thing again. After three or four of those cycles, it'll eventually go ahead and start because the gas gets up there. That's mm-hmm. the most common thing. Now, of course, there are other things. I would have to check the car tape for certain, but the way you would diagnose that is to bring it to a shop. Does it mostly occur first thing in the morning or after the car's been sitting for a while? After it's been sitting a while. Yeah, first thing to do is to bring that to a shop, maybe drop it off the night before so they'll have the car, and describe to them exactly when it does it to the best of your ability. In other words, try to keep a little log of exactly what occurred just before it, so that way they can duplicate the symptoms. Now, what they would do is attach a fuel pressure gauge to the car, try it and see, and then if it does not have fuel pressure, then bang, that's the problem. If it does have fuel pressure, of course, they got to go off in a different direction. So that's the kind of way that they would have to go about diagnosing that type of thing. Okay. Okay. Right. Is it easily fixable if that's the problem? If that is a problem, it's easy, relatively expensive, because you'd have to place a fuel pump. So it could be an expensive job, but I don't want to scare you for nothing because it could be something totally different. Again, I haven't seen the car. That's just one common thing that causes that issue. Mm-hmm. You, know, you could also have a fuel pressure regulator leaking. It could even be an ignition-type problem or something. So it would be one of those things you just have to get it in, and the best thing you can do to save yourself a lot of money is to create a little log of exactly when it happens. That way the shop can duplicate it easily. Right. The more you can communicate with your shop about what's going on, the faster they're going to find it and the less it's going to cost you. Right. Because if if they get in the shop and play with it all day, you've got several hours of time involved, can't duplicate the symptoms, they're not going to be able to find it. Right. Okay. Okay. Thank you so much. Yes, ma'am. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we would love to have you. And we've got Leslie online. Good morning, Leslie. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning. I'm driving a 96 Nissan pickup. Okay. Okay. 2.4 liter. Yes, sir. And when it's air conditioner running, when you're going down the road, it run, works beautifully. Mm-hmm. But if it's sitting there idling, it'll quit cooling completely until you speed the motor. There are a number of possibilities there, Leslie. One being if it's a little bit low on charge because of a leak, it will generally do that. When the refrigerant level drops, so do the pressures in the system. Now, when the compressor's turning fast, then it can generate enough pressure differential to allow it to cool. When the compressor's turning very slow, there's not enough pressure differential to cause cooling. So that's one of the most common things. A weak compressor can do exactly the same thing, even though it's fully charged. Another thing is, if it's overcharged, it can do exactly the same thing, because the head pressure will go way too high when it's sitting still, and it will quit cooling. When you're going down the road, you've got enough air running through the condenser to kind of bring it back down. So... Most of the time, I have found it's a matter of charge, either undercharged or overcharged, which is a very, very complicated thing and a whole other story all on itself. The next thing is the compressor itself is going bad and it's just not producing enough pressure at an idle. Those are the two most common things. Now, there are other things that can cause it, but that's more common. Now, what you might just try is while sitting still, put it in neutral, bring the RPM up a little bit and see if it cools while sitting still. It'll do that. It will. Okay, well, then that leans more towards one of those type of problems because if you had an airflow issue, you're not getting any more airflow sitting still than you would otherwise. So I'm going to lean towards either low on charge, too much charge, or a weak compressor. The way you'd have to diagnose that, Leslie, is to go in, draw the charge completely out, and first go in and identify it, make sure there's no air or anything like that in it, draw the charge completely out, measure the correct charge, and add that back to it. At the same time, they'd put dye in the system where if it's a leak, they'd be able to find it. Is that would that be a one thirty four A? Yes, sir. It is. It's ninety six. Yes, ninety three was the last R twelves. Okay. All righty. All right. I appreciate yes, it. Yes, sir. Thank you. Bye bye. You want to be part of the automotive hour? We'd love to have you. And we've got Al's been patiently holding. Good morning, Al. 
Yes, sir. I bought a 1994 Mercury Cougar uh-huh. a couple of months ago. Yes, sir. It's a V6, and the wife took it on a trip, and it, she's at about 50 or 55, it jumps in and out of overdrive. Mm-hmm. Does that sound like a real bad problem? It could be, Al, but probably not. What you need to determine is it actually jumping in and out of overdrive or is it going in and out of lockup because that's kind of difficult to tell and nothing against women, but most women are not as mechanically inclined, say, as a man would be. Right. It's going to be hard for them to determine that. Now, going in and out of lockup is a whole different set of situations. That's where the torque converter locks and unlocks, right. and that would be more likely up around that speed because generally it's already shifted into overdrive by around 40 or 45. Right. Now, going in and out of lockup could be a number of things. Something as simple as a brake light switch can cause that. Now, it may also be an engine running problem. You just won't feel it as a miss. What you'll feel is a transmission shifting up and down trying to compensate for a loss of power. Maybe a fuel filter? Could be a fuel filter. Could be a bad call pack. Could be a bad spark plug. Could be a lot of things. Okay, where is that fuel filter, please? I don't know off the top of my head, probably on the frame rail under the body somewhere. I'd have to look it up in service data. I'm not familiar with it. Look back around the gas tank somewhere. Look around the gas tank, trace the lines coming forward. I mean, certainly if the fuel filter hadn't been changed, you ain't going to do any harm by doing that. Just make sure you get a motocraft filter for it. The car's in real good shape. Would you recommend I keep that thing? I mean, is is it a good car? It's not my favorite car, no. No, okay. They had some issues with those little cars. I mean, they're not bad. Don't get me wrong. Decent car. Not my favorite in the world. But, yeah, I mean, if you like the car, it hadn't given you any trouble. What I tell people out all the time, because I get that question a lot, should I keep this car, why not bring it in, let us do a general inspection on the car? Yeah. And I can tell Mm. you not only everything that's wrong with it, but I can tell you a lot of what's fixing to go wrong with it. Okay. And if I check the car and say, well, you know, Al, man, engine's got a knock in it, the transmission fluid is burnt, the air conditioner's leaking, the rear differential's whining. Yeah, you know, it's time to bail. But if I check it over and say, hey, yeah, it's in pretty good shape. You know, all it needs is maybe coolant and a couple of brake pads or something. Well, yeah, yeah, no reason not to keep it. Is that pretty steep, that general No, step? sir. Uh, we bill by the hour. It generally takes around an hour. Some oh, of them okay. might take an hour and a half at most, but, I mean, we all can, right. we can well, go all through it. All right, Long. All right, sir. Thank you, sir. All right, Al. Thank you, man. Bye-bye. If you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we'd love to have you. we got Jose online. Good morning, Jose. Yes, uh, good morning. Good morning. I have several questions. One question is a holdover from my younger days okay. when I was a young man, didn't uh-huh. have the money to get an oil chain filter. Uh-huh. I do it myself, and yes, I still enjoy doing that. Okay, it's great. really not that much work. Uh-huh. But what kind is the best grease to use for your differentials up front? Grease for differentials. Come on, a four-wheel drive vehicle? No, no, no. It's a rear-wheel drive okay. Silverado. Okay, well, you don't have a differential in the front. What? Well, I'm sorry. I meant the uh, ball joints and stuff. Oh, okay. Oh. We use Mobile One synthetic grease, and it's more pricey than regular grease, but for the small amount you're going to use... It'll last you a long, yeah, long, long, long one, time. One 12-ounce yeah. tube is going to last you five years, so it doesn't matter if it costs $3 <laughs> or $6. Yeah. No, I agree with you 100%. One more question, mm-hmm. and that is I have a 2009 Chrysler Town & Country. Mm-hmm. I've already brought it in twice because the carpeting is getting wet. Okay. They tell me that it, they said it was the hose was kinked, the water was backing up okay. and not draining, uh-huh. and then I had to bring it again, and they told me that they, were, they replaced the hose, mm-hmm. and now it's getting wet again. That's on the right-hand side on the floor? Both. Both left sides? And right, the floor on both left and right. Well, side. if it's on both sides, chances are it's not going to be the hose. I would say you've got an evaporator case that's not properly sealed. 
or one that's cracked or assembled improperly, which yeah. is probably a manufacturing defect. You need to hold your feet to the fire on that, Jose, because not only is that a very expensive job, you have to remove the entire dashboard to fix it, but it can cause your carpet to mildew, in which gets extremely expensive. Yeah. So you got well, to hold your feet to the fire on that. Hey, man, look, uh-uh, you had two shots at this. You know, third time I'm going to BBB and I'm going to want another car. You, know, you can't get this fixed. But that sounds like probably that evaporator case is either not sealed, improperly installed, cracked, something like that. Because it's got yeah. a tray in the case that catches that water and funnels it down to the hose, which is all the way over on the right side. So generally, if the hose plugs up or something, it's going to leak on the right-hand side. But yeah, if it's it, leaking it, on it, both sides, that's more likely the case is cracked or something's not put together right. All right. And all right. It, it's leaking while you're driving. It doesn't it, have to be raining or anything. It's it, it just getting wet. The carpeting on the floor. What, we've had a complete drought, so if it's doing it yeah. right now, it's, it's not going to be raining. As long as you're not washing the vehicle every couple of days or something like that. Yeah. You know, What I'm leading oh, no. to is maybe the windshield could be leaking if the water, if it's raining or you're washing the car. Right. Right. No, no, it's no, not. Okay. If you're just driving, it's okay. dry as it's been. Yeah, it's got to be yeah, the air conditioning. Yeah, it's got to be an air conditioning. Or, or the heater core, possibly, but most likely the air conditioning. Heater core would smell. Probably. It'd, it'd, it'd have a different smell. Too. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. All right, you're welcome. Sir. Thank you, sir. Bye-bye. And we got Mac online. Good morning, Mac. Hey, good morning, guys. How are y'all this Doing morning? Doing great, sir. Good morning. Got a question for you. Sure. I'm going online and I've located a 2008 Lexus up in New England. Uh-huh. Very good price on it and uh-huh. only 8,000 miles. Wow. The Carfax, though, says that there seemed to have been a problem or a malfunction with the with the odometer, and it's not saying that they've turned it back or whatever, but they did say that it would be good to have either the dealer, who may lie, yeah. <laughs> or qualified mechanic, which obviously you are, look at it, but unfortunately that car is 1,700 or 2,000 miles away from Mac, I'll tell you what you do. If you want to verify the odometer, it's right to the state that it's in, mm-hmm. and Ask the folks that handle the vehicle inspections right. because mileage is recorded each time you have a vehicle inspection. Right. So if you can get that information, and let's say the last time or the first time they got a vehicle inspection, it had 15,000 miles on it, and the second time it had 8,000 miles on it, well, and obviously there's a problem. Exactly. But that data is recorded by the state. You just got to find the right division. Of course, that's not going to be an easy task if you ever have to deal with any state, much less an out-of-state state. But if you call the motor vehicle division in the state where the car is registered, they should be able to verify that information for you. Is that something easy to be done as far as rolling back the odometer on all Lexus or on It's car, not I guess? easy, but if they replace the instrument panel cluster, that information is recorded on a chip in the instrument panel cluster. Right. If you take the instrument cluster out and replace it with another cluster, yeah, it's gone. Uh, and by law, you're supposed to have a statement, you're supposed to inform people and all that kind of stuff, but... I would be a little apprehensive of a car that age with that low of miles on it anyway. Right. Because a number of things could account for that. Number one is the car could have been sitting up for a long period of time for some reason, which is very, very bad. It could have been seriously wrecked and it was off the road for a period of time, which is very, very bad. Mm-hmm. I would prefer to see a car with a lot more miles, which means it's been driven. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would prefer to see a 2008 with 80,000 miles on it. I right. would buy that before I would buy that car. Really? Would yes, sir, absolutely, because the years are what kills a car. The miles don't really hurt them at all. Mm-hmm. And being an 08, I mean, it's pretty new anyway, two right. years old. It's not a whole lot going to be wrong with it, particularly a Lexus. I would prefer to see a car with higher mileage because right. you know it's been driven. Let's just say a little old lady had it she just never drove it. Again, that's, that is the worst possible operating conditions. 
Really? Oil tends to clog up. I mean, shocks sit in one position and the, the rings eat into the cylinder bores. I mean, it's just really a horrible, horrible way to do a car. You're way better off with a higher mileage car. Find a salesman. He's got well, a two, an 08 with 100,000 miles. Car's like brand new. <laughs> you, that's a misnomer about the low mileage stuff. The miles don't hurt the car. The years hurt the car. Right. Hey, thanks for the great tip. Okay, man. Appreciate you. Thanks, sir. Bye-bye. Gotta take a quick little break. Hey, Duke and James, hold on. You guys be straight up after the break. Good morning, and welcome back to Automotive Maintenance School, fellas. Good morning. Yesterday, we left off talking about how to upsell your customers with the sneaky $24.99 oil change. Yeah, they come in for the special, and bam, we hit them with other problems we just happened to find while doing the oil change. (laughs) Yeah, and then you tell them, it's a good thing you came in for our oil change special. Yeah, you may never have known you needed all this work. Yeah, sound like you fellas did your homework. I just hope none of your customers did. (laughs) Agco Automotive has this to say about low-price oil changes. Take advantage of them. And if you get a list of recommended repairs, bring your vehicle to us for an honest opinion of what, if anything, needs to be fixed. Want to know more details about upsells and wallet flushes, plus tons of other automotive info? Visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O dot com. Agco, it's the place to go. the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldersal, Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you just go ahead and give us a call? And we're going back to the lines with Duke. Good morning, Duke. Uh, good morning, Louis. I have a couple of questions okay. for you. I've got a, a 92 uh, Toyota pickup. Yes, sir. Uh, four-wheel drive. Uh, one of them, I have the... Uh, much for the fan clutch, fan assembly. When an engine isn't running, should you be able to free spin that pretty easy, fan? Yes, sir, you could spin it pretty easily, particularly if the engine's warm. It varies from vehicle to vehicle, but it, that's really not a good measure of whether or not it's good. Is the engine right. overheating at idle at all? No. You get that roaring noise after you shift, when you let off. It's like it's, I don't know. Yeah, if it were freewheeling, it would probably not make any noise. They will occasionally freeze up, which will give you, it sounds like the motor's running too fast when it's yeah. actually not. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, it could be that it's possibly froze up, Duke, and not freewheeling when it should, because the purpose is when the engine is cold, it's supposed to freewheel, which allows okay. it to warm up faster. And when it gets hot, the hotter it gets, the tighter it should get. So okay. it draws more air through. Now, these right. scorching hot days we've had, it's normal for those clutches to make a lot more noise on those days. Oh, is it? Yes, sir, because it's trying to cool off not only that radiator, but that air conditioning condenser, and it's having to work real hard. So right. yeah, these 90, 95 to 98-degree days, you're going to really notice a lot more noise out of a fan okay. clutch, particularly when you're sitting at an idle. Yeah, uh, right. We've had a lot of complaints about that. Man, this thing's making a noise. Well, yeah, it's scorching hot out there. Yeah, <laughs> I'd make noise, too. <laughs> I'd make noise, too, exactly. <laughs> But the other question has to do with the idling. When you idle and you, let's say you stop at a red light, if the air is on, mm-hmm. it's idled down, you know, and it'll almost kill. Okay. And when you cut the air off, it idles back up. Yeah, it shouldn't really do that, Duke. That is normally going to be what they call the idle control servo. gets kind of sticky. What the idle control servo is is basically a little motor. And the computer sees the idle go too low. It commands that little motor to open a valve, which allows more air in. And when it allows more air, the O2 sensor is automatically riching it up, so it has more air and more fuel, so it speeds up. 
and it can okay. do that almost instantly when it's working right. Now, when they get older, they get kind of sticky, and they don't work fast enough, or they can't work past a certain point. For instance, when you turn the air conditioner off, you just cut about 30 or 40 horsepower load off that engine, so it's going to speed yeah. up. If the idle servo is working properly, it's going to automatically bring it back down to the correct idle. When you turn the AC on, it's going to automatically bring it up, so it's always maintain the right idle on it. When it gets right. old or sticky, it can't do that. And so and that's when the, you'll start seeing the differential. Right. And what's it called? It's called the idle control servo or idle control motor, depending on which car company okay. it is. Okay. That particular one is a bit difficult to change and a bit expensive. It's kind of, you got to take the throttle body off. It's under the throttle body. and You got to buy a uh, part from Toyota. So it's kind of expensive. Naturally. Yeah. Okay. But they don't go out very much either. You probably got what like, it, way over 100,000 uh, on it. You're familiar with the dash pot sensor? Dash pot I, sensor. Not by I've that never. name heard of it but it's on the bottom of the arm the accelerator arm okay uh, yeah they're normally like a little shock absorber type thing yeah. they do call a dash pot yeah all that does is that when you let off the gas and the throttle slams shut it slows it down just to the extent okay. that it keeps from dying but right, it, so that, once it's closed it. no it won't affect mm -hmm. it any longer okay. uh, i'm more on that idle servo you might find a shop that can clean it for you sometimes cleaning it will help Mm -hmm. But, again, you're talking about a, a 92, so we're talking 17-year-old yeah. truck. It's probably yeah. pretty tired. Yeah, yeah, it is. They, and do, if, they do eventually wear out. And if you're going to go, <laughs> right, go through all the labor of taking it off to clean it. Right, you almost need change. Yeah, because you've you yeah. got to take the throttle body and off the motor. And when I say it's expensive, I mean it's about a $200 part and probably $100 labor. So Really? You know, if that's even your problem. Yeah, $300, so, $350, but you know, I diagnosed it first. Exactly. If you cut so the you AC on, on and cut the AC off, and the speed changes drastically, that's almost a dead giveaway. Okay, and you can uh, you can diagnose it over there with oh yeah yes sir on sure. a machine yes yeah, sir you don't even okay. need a machine you, you good deal uh, vacuum gauge and stuff can do that all right man well, I all appreciate right. it all right bye Duke enjoy the show thank, thank you bye bye we've got James been patiently holding good morning James good morning How good morning doing great doing sir. great I got a 2001 Volkswagen Beetle yes sir with transmission issues and let you know how we got to this point. Had a hole knocked in the oil pan. All the oil drains out, burns uh -huh. the bearings up. Okay. Mm -hmm. Brought to the local Volkswagen dealer where they swapped the motor out. Uh -huh. And ever since they swapped the motor out, the transmission has not been shifting right. It will shift out into overdrive. But once you get above about 45 miles an hour, mm -hmm. then it starts downshifting and will downshift as far as into second gear, seems like, even at 45, 50 miles an hour. I suspect, James, that... Either a ground wire got left off or a sensor did not get connected properly or something is maladjusted because okay. that is an electronically controlled transmission. And, for instance, if the throttle position sensor is improperly grounded and it loses sight of that, it does not know how much throttle you're applying. Yeah. So it may shift up or down. Now, another possibility could be like the vehicle speed sensor because if it doesn't realize how fast it's going, it may get confused and shift up or shift down. You did just, mention the speed sensor because the speedometer didn't work. Yeah, and that's, that would be kind of a giveaway there. It's probably something that either did not get connected properly or maybe got damaged. Because we take a motor in and out, it's a big heavy assembly, and it's pretty easy to bump something and damage a part. Yeah. So that should not be awfully difficult to diagnose as long as you can duplicate it. It does it pretty much all the time. Yeah, it's pretty consistent. If it's consistent, what I would do, James, I would go back, take it over there yourself, 
ask to have the technician that's going to work on it ride with you, then take the car out with you driving and show him exactly what it's doing. Say, there, that's what, I, that's what it's doing. Because right. what happens a lot of times, you go in or you send your wife over there and she goes to the service rider and she tries to tell him what she thinks it's doing and it gets communicated between him and somebody else, maybe a dispatcher, then to the tech. And by the time a tech gets he's not getting the same story as trying to tell him. Yeah. So literal luck to bring it back to that dealer because they were a little dishonest about the problem. They basically told us the car's ready to be picked up and yeah. got paid for it and then washed their hands of it. So Well, yeah, you just gonna need to get to the right person though. See it, it, you wouldn't want to have to pay somebody else to fix something that should be under warranty. That ought to be covered under warranty of some kind, I would think. Yeah. So, I mean, you may have to even go above the service rider. You may have to go to the service manager and then relay the story to him. Okay. But you should be able to get that covered. I mean, it's only fair to give them an opportunity to fix their problem, I think. Uh, now, if you do that and then they give you the humbug and they don't want to do it, then you got to pick somebody else, you know, and, and, okay. and the car chips have to fall where they may. But I'm always pretty big to try to let them resolve the issue if they can. Not, okay. and you do go somewhere else, and it ends up a big deal. The first thing they go, why did you take it back to us? And then you get into he said, she said, and it just makes it more difficult to deal with. Yeah. Now, is that something you work on, or you don't fool with the transmission? I don't fool with European cars at all. Okay. I strictly do Japanese cars and American cars. Okay. All righty. Well, thank you all. All, all right. right. Thank you. Have a good day. Yes, sir. Thank you. Right. Bye-bye. We're going to take one more quick little break. John, Bruce, Jonathan, you guys will be straight up after the break. Hey, Agco Automotive is here to tell you some things are too good to be true. Like free beer tomorrow or lose weight on the ice cream and cheeseburger diet. Another thing too good to be true? The low price oil change. Automotive businesses will sucker you in with an under $30 oil change and then give you a huge list of recommended maintenance and repairs like flushes, brake work, rack and pinion leaks, oil leaks and more. Well, Agco says be smart. When you get the list, Bring your vehicle to AGCO and we'll provide you an honest evaluation of any problems you may be having. Want to know more details about upsells and wallet flushes, plus tons of other automotive info? Visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O dot com. AGCO, it's the place to go. Oh, and those beautiful models just waiting to talk to you late at night? Yeah, too good to be true. Back. He's joining us the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alvesan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll answer any automotive questions you might have. And we got John been patiently holding. Good morning, John. Good morning, guys. Good got morning. Question. We got a, an 07 GMC Sierra. It's yes, sir. Classic, the old body style. Uh huh. And I've got the electronic dual climate control inside. Right. Yes, sir. Got in it the other day. AC worked great. Mm-hmm. Got out of it. Got back in it 10 minutes later. No AC. Okay. Now, the fan motor and all was working. The yes. compressor was just not coming on. Mm-hmm. Let me ask so, you, John, is it blowing outside air or is it blowing actually hot air? No, it, it was outside air. Okay. It, not heater air. No. Okay. So what I did is I was very fortunate to find a shop that could look at it. Mm-hmm. He hooked a scan tool up to it, and with his scan tool, he could turn the air conditioner on. Right. And he was showing it was showing low coolant. And so he couldn't figure out what was going on. The coolant was not low. So last effort, we just recycled the power on the computer. We disconnected the battery, hooked it back up, and voila, it worked. Yes, sir. Most likely, John, what happened, it's got a bunch of blend doors underneath the dash that actually make cold, hot, and ambient air. 
And what happens is that they have to learn what they call home position. In uh-huh. other words, when you cycle ignition, they go from one extent to the other extent, and uh-huh. that's where they know the, the range of the travel, then they move midway. Okay. From there, the computer commands them where they need to go. Okay. Now, if the door does not open to flow the air through the evaporator core, then you're uh-huh. not going to get refrigerated air. You're just going to get ambient air. Okay. Most likely what happened is that door is either sticking or the servo is going bad and it lost track of home, so it did not know where to adjust it. Would that have anything to do? I mean, the compressor was not coming on. It may not. It may not okay. command it on. Okay. It freaks out the little temperature control module, what they call an ETAC module. When it can't move those servo doors like it wants to, it's commanding when they won't move or it thinks they're not moving. It can freak out that module. And okay. when you disconnect the battery, it basically resets everything, kind of like turning your computer off at home and rebooting right. it. Right, right. Now, that obviously is not a fix, and most likely it's going to occur again. The thing is, when it occurs again, don't disconnect the battery, because when you do that, you're going to destroy all the data that's needed to figure out exactly what's going on. Okay. So, again, what, what are the potential causes for this to happen? You said sticking doors? Yes, sir. Um, a sticking servo can cause that, or a bad ETAC computer can actually cause that, electronic temperature control activating computer. And so what kind of money are we talking about here? Depends on what it is, man. It can get extremely expensive or it can be fairly reasonable. It just depends on which door and all that kind of stuff. There's some yeah. of them you got to pull the whole dash out. Some of them are right at the bottom. It's oh, four, four doors under there. It just depends on which one it is, if it's any of those. And like I said, the computer itself is expensive, but the labor is not much to change it. So it just really depends on what the problem is. The right. big thing is you just don't want to disconnect the battery because when you do that, you just you basically destroy all the information you need to fix the car. I understand that, but when you disconnect the battery and it comes back on, you get cool air. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but what's going to happen is the absolute worst possible time, when there's yeah. nobody around to help you, it's going to do it again. <laughs> then you don't have a choice to get it fixed where you want. That's right. Thank you, much. All right, man. All right. Bye-bye. Uh-huh. Remember, you want to be part of the automotive art, we'd love to have you. And we got Bruce on the line. Good morning, Bruce. Good morning. Good morning. I've also got a 07 Classic GMC. Uh-huh. And, well, so far, no problems. It'll be out of warranty at the end of January next year. Uh-huh. Do I have to make an appointment for you to run it through your before warranty uh, checkup? You never have to make an appointment. But the problem is, if you don't make an appointment and you show up, they're going to put you next in line, which might be 100 cars ahead of you. So it's your advantage to make an appointment because that way they're going to guarantee it gets done the same day that you make the appointment. Oop, I think we accidentally lost Mr. Bruce, but I hope that answered the question. If not, just fire me off an email, and I'll, uh, or just go to the website, look up uh, appointments, and it'll tell you all about that kind of stuff as well. And we got Jonathan online. Good morning, Jonathan. Good morning, guys. Good yes, morning. Sir. First time listener. Well, thank you. I, I drive a 1999 Chevrolet S10 Blazer, mm-hmm. and I uh, just picked it up for a fairly reasonable price. Mm-hmm. I knew there were some things I need to work on. When I was sitting at a red light or sitting at idle, it... It idles real rough, consistent rough. It's just like a pulsating, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. I get out, and I, if I go up to the, the tailpipe and put my hand over the tailpipe, it's like a, a puffing. Like a, yes, sir. You know, my, my check engine light will come on, and mm-hmm. it'll go off. I had a guy look at it and said it, it. He said, check the temperature on my catalytic converter and said it was real hot and that it could be plugged up. And I want to know if that will also cause the uh, cause it to hesitate when it's starting up. When I turn the key, it takes a few seconds. To, it'll turn over a few times, and then it'll crank Yeah, up. I mean, it could, Jonathan. But, again, that is just kind of the worst kind of guesswork 
that is going to cost you so much money when it could be properly diagnosed. In other words, well, maybe it's a converter. Okay, well, let's go spend $600 on a converter to see if it fixes right. it. That's the worst kind of way to try to go about fixing a car. Rather, what I would suggest is to get this to someone who knows what they're doing, have them start out with the check engine light, see what the codes are. Based on what those codes are, there are certain tests they're going to run to isolate the exact problem. And right. if you're in the proper shop, they could probably do that in an hour to two hours, so it's not going to cost a huge amount. Then they can tell you conclusively, this is the problem. Now, okay. you'll know you're in the right shop when they say, this is the problem. You say, okay, do you guarantee that's going to fix it? And they say, yes. Okay. Not, well, yeah, we got to try this and da-da-da-da-da. The proper use of diagnostics is to save money. That's why we do it. Because electronically, we can eliminate all these types of issues. For instance, we can go in and do a back pressure test and tell you if the converter is plugged or not. We don't have to guess at it. Exactly. Uh, depending on what the code is, you know, it have a let's say it's got a lean code. Well, then we know we're looking for a vacuum leak or something. Right. Let's say it's got a rich code. Well, now we're looking for a misfire or possibly a bad injector. So okay. just about the type of code, we know sort of what we're looking for. And then with an experienced technician with the proper tooling, he should be able to go to those problems for you pretty quickly. What you don't want to do is disconnect the battery in any way, type, or form. Because right. if you do disconnect the battery, you lose all the diagnostic information that's stored in the computer to help the technician fix right. that problem. It makes it much more expensive to try to repair. Okay. The, the puffing at the tailpipe could just be, I mean, that can indicate something like a bad valve, but it can also just be a misfire because exactly. when it misfires, it's going to puff at the tailpipe. Okay. Okay. Where are you located? The best thing is just go to my website. It's www.agcoauto.com, agcoauto.com, and it's got okay. a map in there to show you anywhere in the world. Wonderful. All righty. Great. Thank you, guys. Thank All you, right. Sir. Bye-bye. We got Mike online. Good morning, Mike. Yes, I have a 1997 Chevrolet Suburban. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. 350. Mm-hmm. And the situation is I've replaced the, it's, it's got 322,000 miles on okay. it. I've replaced the fuel pump on it maybe two times. Yeah. But what happened, I replaced it on oh, maybe six months ago, then went out. So I went to replace it, and what I had seen, the wiring assembly. Yes, sir. Was overheated. Burnt. Pretty common oh, problem on those. Right. Right. So I went ahead and bought the whole new assembly. It was yes, like five hundred dollars for it. Okay. Anyway, the situation is it didn't last but like two weeks mm-hmm. and the pump is out again. So yes, I really don't I'm really thinking about getting rid of it, but but it's been a good vehicle. Well, I, it's not the truck's fault, Mike. Don't give me any names because we can't have that on the air, but you didn't buy the pump from a Chevrolet dealer, did you? Yes I did. Oh you did, okay. Okay. Yes. If you bought the pump from a Chevrolet dealer, then you only got one or two possibilities. One is the harness that plugs into the pump is also damaged, and what will happen, see, when one terminal burns, generally the mating terminal is also going to burn. Right. Okay, so you're not getting good contact, and it may be as simple as repairing or changing that little pigtail out. The second is there's some type of contaminant in the fuel tank, which is taking out the pumps. Okay. And, and either one of those can do that. But it's run 325,000 miles before it starts to occur, so it's just something that's wrong with that particular assembly. It's not anything that where well, you got to get rid of the truck. I mean, it's not a problem that can't be resolved. Okay. All right, so what I actually want to do is actually check the wiring. Yes, sir, exactly. Right. Because when it burned up the terminal on the pump, it likely burned up the, the part that mates with it, even though it maybe doesn't look like it unless you really look close. Get a magnifying glass and look at it and see if the plastic around that terminal, particularly the ground terminal, is discolored. 
And what will right. happen is that little pin, and like a little roll pin type thing, it wraps around the terminal. It gets hot and it gets soft and it expands out, so it's not making good contact. And okay. sometimes something as simple as reaching up there and shaking it, it may start running again. Uh, and if that's the case, you would just cut off that little pigtail, and there's a cell just the pigtail end of it, and replace okay. that as well. That would be the most common cause. Now, of course, okay. there's always that possibility that something else occurred. Right. And just and coincidence. So that would be the harness right outside where it plugs in there? To the tank, yes, sir. Yes, sir, it's on the outside, okay. Yes, exactly. You do have the, the ones that plugged up on the inside. Inside, exactly, right. yes, sir. And when right. one's burned, generally the other one's going to be burned also because the old pump was drawing too much amperage, and that's what burned them up. Now, right. what you would do first, Mike, if you do check that and that's not the problem, get a voltmeter and go to the gray wire in the harness okay. and go to the ground and see if you've got 12 volts back there. Because mm-hmm. it could be that you're not getting the 12 volts back there because also a relay, a relay in the exactly. front of the truck that also gets pitted and burned up when the oh. pump goes out. Right. And it could right. just be a failed right. relay. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Okay. Yeah, I can, I can do that. All right. <laughs> well, thanks so much. Check the connections at the relay. When you unplug yeah. it, look down right. in there and make sure none of those wires yeah. are burnt. Any one of those little connections could get right. burned. Okay. All right. Very good. Very, thank you so much. You're All welcome. right, Mike. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye now. And going back to phone lines, got Kristen. Good morning, Kristen. Hi. I have a question about, well, I have a 350 long block in El Camino, Uh and I just replaced, well, I had the carburetor rebuilt. Since I put the carburetor back in, the brake booster seems to have failed. I think it may be that. I'm not sure if it's that or maybe a vacuum What's problem. What's it actually doing, Chris? Well, whenever, it, just the brakes won't, uh, you have to mash down Real the brakes. Real hard, right. Like, right, there, like there's no well, power brake. you see... Kristen, if it started immediately after they rebuilt the carburetor, uh-huh. I would go back to that because the brake booster runs on vacuum, which is tied directly into the back of the carburetor. So I'm going to suspect that they may have kinked the line going into it. It may Poss- have, possibly didn't connect the line right. It may have split being as old as it is. Yeah. The hose may have uh-huh. split, and it's losing the vacuum there at the back of the engine and not yeah. applying it to yeah, the, the booster. The odds of the okay. booster just going out simultaneously right. with the carburetor yeah, being rebuilt would be pretty astronomical. What you could do right. to isolate that is get a nice big piece of hose, and it's got to be vacuum hose, mm-hmm. and run straight to another source of vacuum and see if it starts working. Well, okay, because I definitely feel the vacuum coming through to the where it attaches. Well, but, but see, it, you can't tell by that because you could oh. have a restriction. You may be pulling 20 inches of vacuum but no volume so that as soon as you hit your oh. thing, and if it's got just one little hole through it that's still making contact, you'll have full vacuum until you exhaust it. It can't suck back through there fast enough. With the engine running and you sit in the car, when you put your foot on the brake sitting still, do you hear air running inside the car? No, I was going to say I don't hear okay. any hissing noises, okay, but great. it does change it, the idle a little bit. Yeah, well, yeah. changing the idle, that's because it's, it's venting vacuum. The right. way I would diagnose is take a vacuum gauge, hook it in line with the vacuum booster, and get in mm-hmm. there and hit the pedal and see if the vacuum drops. If it does, the flow is restricted somewhere, and that's almost always the problem. Okay, great. So I don't need to replace the booster I yet. I certainly <laughs> wouldn't until I test it further right. and find out where. You know, make sure Now, if you're getting full vacuum to the booster and still don't have, then, yeah, now you got a vacuum. Uh, right. Well, that, yeah, problem. see, that's what's happening right, right at that check valve. It's, it's getting all the vacuum. It well, seems but it's... until you put a gauge on and hit the brake at the same time, you don't know that. Oh, okay. Okay, all you right. get fooled by that real easy. Okay, well, I appreciate all it. All right. All right. Okay, thank you thank so you much. Mm-hmm. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. We gotta take one last quick little break and we'll be right back with more. Mike, how are you and things at the dealership's maintenance department? Dave, things are great. You guys still running that low price $24.99 oil change at your place? Oh yeah. Folks come in and we just 
happen to find a ton of other stuff wrong with their car. <laughs> Works, don't it? Sometimes when it's a woman, I make something up like, your flux capacitor has a leak. Yeah, or your strepanoid filter head needs to be replaced. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. I gotta write that down. Agco Automotive wants to let you know how to stick it to the low-price oil chain shops. Go get the oil change, and then take your vehicle and their list of recommended repairs to Agco for an honest opinion of what, if anything, needs to be fixed. And we'll fix only that. Want to know more details about upsells and wallet flushes, plus tons of other automotive info? Visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O dot com. Agco, it's the place to go. Back to the final segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, president of Agco Automotive. Got lead tech Brian Terry here. Tune to us to answer almost any questions you might have. And just in case you don't get a chance to call in, something occurs to you during the week. That's right. You can always visit our website. It's www.agcoauto.com. That's A G C O A U T O.com. And what's that saying for? Altazan's Garage Company. There you go. How about Easy that? Easy way to remember it. <laughs> there you go. You can hit a contact bar there on every page. Send Lewis an email any right. time of the day or night, and he'll get it back to you within 24 hours. There's also three databases you can search for right. a particular question. Say you have a, you need a short answer to a question, you can Take go to the question. vehicle database, and mm-hmm. you can get that short answer. If you'd like to learn a little bit more about a certain topic, you can go to the okay. D- detail topics. Detail section. topics. Mm-hmm. There you go. Yeah, the detailed topics are articles on a specific topic. For instance, I just put a couple of them in there. One is, what would Henry think? Oh, I like and, that one. Yeah, that's kind of interesting. You might want to give you kind of a different perspective on the new cars they're selling today and what an American car is, because you get all this hyperbole about, oh, man, we need to stimulate the economy by going buy a new car. But right. is that really going to stimulate the U.S. economy or <laughs> the Chinese economy? Whose economy, yeah? Yeah, yeah, kind of some shocking stuff in there. And it's stuff you really don't see anywhere else on the web for some reason. That's probably purposely like that way. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. So much of what you do see is driven by the folks who benefit from your decision one exactly. way or the other. You know, they're trying to sell cars or whatever. There's a lot of that out there, but good unbiased information. Another one in there on yep. protecting your air condition from failure. And, of course, just tons of other information. Just pop on there and look around and see what you think. think you'll have a good, good time. It's www.agcoauto.com, agcoauto.com, and think you'll like it. We're going back to our phone. Uh, I have a 95 F-150 yes. Ford, mm-hmm. and uh, my speedometer stopped working. I mean, the uh, the arm on it, it just stays at zero. Okay. I'll tell you what happened about four Do, years ago. Does the ago, odometer still this. work, Bill? Sir? Does the odometer still work? No, it's all messed up, too. Okay, if uh, both of them quit working about the same time, the most likely cause is going to be the vehicle speed sensor. Mo- by what? Most likely cause will be the vehicle speed sensor if they both quit working at the same time. Oh, ex- exceeding the speed limit? No, sir. The vehicle speed I'm sorry. sensor. Uh, Louis, let me turn my, re- my I'm going to turn my phone off and listen to you on the radio. I can't. Okay, I tell you, just give us a call back there. We'll try to get you back on top of the list. And we got Bobby online. Good morning, Bobby. Hey, good morning, guys. Good morning. Yes, sir. Yeah, I'm Louis, I'm Louis and Brian. Uh, thanks for a great show, but I'm stimulating my economy by go. keeping my old car. Well, there me. you go. That's me. That's <laughs> it. And following the Stimulate my family there. economy. <laughs> that's right. We must be related because. Uh, I'm following the Edco Auto Formula Preventative Maintenance. There you go. So, Great. 
Anyway, one of the things I do regularly is I screw up my cars by trying to prevent them paying as much. Okay. Look, I just got a question. I got a year and a half old battery in my 1991 van, which okay. is uh, which I've loved and I've talked to you about before, mm-hmm. like a member of the family. Yes, sir. But uh, the other day I left the keys on, okay. and two days later I go back there, the battery's stone dead. Sure. Mm-hmm. I, I charge it back up, and everything's fine now. But have I heard the long the life of that battery? Yes, sir. That's Once a battery goes completely dead, it's never going to come back 100%. That's it. Okay. Yeah, it'll come back partially, but it's not ever going to come back 100%. It's a year and a half old, Bobby. Batteries aren't that expensive. Me, myself, I'd probably go ahead and swap that thing out just so I didn't get stranded somewhere else. A weak battery can end up shortening life, your alternator, shortening life, your starter, and everything else. If it's a year and a half old, it's been completely dead, chances are it's going to end up leaving you with a it's, problem. That's it. It's going to leave you at the most inopportune time. Oh, absolutely. You know, you're going to be off somewhere in the middle of the night trying to go somewhere and dead battery. Yep. Yeah, that's what I was afraid you'd say. Yeah, <laughs> well. <laughs> and, guys, this thing is going to run, and like you said, I'm going to shut it off one night at 2 o'clock in the morning where I'm someplace I shouldn't be. There you go. Hey, that's there you it. Go. And then or, when I go to turn it back on, it's not going to work. And that, then you're stranded. That's generally what ends up happening. Like I said, once they go dead, they just never, ever come back 100%. Okay. You might even check with whoever sold you the battery because a lot of times they'll warranty those things for you. Yeah, if they warranty them against stupidity, I'm okay. <laughs> <laughs> you never well, like know. I said, if I get in trouble at 2 in the morning, I'll call you guys. I there you can't go. Call my wife, yeah, just call man. the shop. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, man. Thanks a lot. We That's it. We we're out. We squandered another perfectly good hour. That's hey, it. I want to tell everybody how much I appreciate them listening this morning and every Saturday morning on the Automotive Hour. And I want to remind everybody one more time to go to the website. It's agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. All right. If you don't see what you're looking for, just go ahead and send me an email. I'll be glad to get you an answer. Tell everybody have a great weekend and preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry.